Welcome to another compressed fusion reaction. I'm Simon. And I'm Eugene. And tonight we're looking at Doctor Who Flux, Chapter 3, Once Upon Time. So for starters, let's talk about the resolution to the cliffhanger from last week's episode. And last week I suggested I was happy just to have cliffhangers, even if they were essentially the kind of thing that was dismissed in the first few seconds of the show. So I'm just going to acknowledge here that actually this did genuinely set up this episode and the resolution to the cliffhanger was more or less the whole thing. The structure of the the episodes is itself quite an interesting thing in that they're traditional, splitting up the companions in the way that the classic show often did, and yet they're also quite different. Each week we get a very different kind of format, which is which is uh, which sort of keeps the variety up. I I have to say I enjoyed this, the format this week in particular. The kind of very theatrical devices they used with uh, the characters or the actors, the regular actors playing uh, other roles, so um, sort of stepping into each other's scenarios. Which is a kind of, I mean, it's a kind of sci-fi thing that is done elsewhere. But I wonder how much of it was me- because it was made easier to do that, or it would be easier to do that uh, meeting the COVID restrictions. But I mean, I think of things like, uh, you know, in Doctor Who, there's a big Finnish play called Random Ghosts by Guy Adams that does this very well. Um, but in terms of that kind of style, I did think this was particularly well done. And I and I really liked the kind of character vignettes, finding out a, a little bit more through those very compressed scenes about our lead characters like uh, Dan, like uh, Vinder, finding out the kind of whistleblowing background stuff obviously we know a fair amount about yaz and the doctor but there is something wrong with yaz's timeline okay we'll see what that is and obviously the doctors which we knew about from the timeless child and uh, so yes we have the the fugitive doctor back which is excellent and she is confirmed as being pre-whitaker if indeed that is confirmation not so excellent mm. New cast, we've got uh, Craig Parkinson in uh, playing Dot Cotton. No, sorry, playing the Great Serpent. Uh, I'm thinking, is there a Mara connection here? And we have the wonderful Barbara Flynn. Someone on Twitter pointing out that that actually completes the set of Peculiar Practice cast appearing in the show. Um, Not quite sure if she is the woman or Tech Duen, or there's some speculation online that she's the White Guardian, but hey, maybe she's all of them. Plus, in this episode, we also get introduced to Belle and uh, her kind of perspective on the whole universal destruction thing. So I kind of like the the way it, it personalizes what, as you've commented previously, is kind of too too big a story to to get any kind of sense of real jeopardy in it. On the other hand, I really don't like the idea that the flux is created for the Doctor, and this whole thing is just some kind of it's reduced to some sort of revenge plot. But there we go. I guess if it's going to have Timeless Child stuff in it, well, I'm thinking I wasn't keen on the Timeless Child stuff, but then is it worse that he just comes up with it and then throws it away? So I'm going to see where this goes. So what did you think? Uh, After last week's slightly better than average, but stellar by the Chibnall era standards, I had allowed myself a glimmer of hope going into Once Upon Time. As the British themselves will tell you, it's the hope that kills you. 
there, there can be legitimate reasons why a writer produces scenes designed to disorientate the viewer. I can see why they might be appropriate in the context of the story here. However, success must be measured by how well it achieves that with the viewer. I don't think Chibnall was going for bored and annoyed, but if he was, mission accomplished. It is clear, however, that Once Upon a Time is not a standalone piece. Unfortunately, it will live and die on the whole, but I suspect as a unit of Doctor Who, it will be viewed as a tedious bit of irrelevance. Someday, perhaps, some enterprising fan will edit the Flux storyline out and leave behind, if we're lucky at this point, a couple of passable Doctor Who episodes from the smoking wreckage of the Flux. Last week's Suntaran story and perhaps next week's Weeping Angel story seem like our only hope at this point. But remember, it's the hope that kills you. I, I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't like so it. So I'm... I'm... I'm I'm picking I'm picking that up. So I guess you know we're at this point we're halfway through Flux the serial, mm-hmm. and I take it that it's it's not the serial elements that you're enjoying in this. Oddly enough, no, it's not. No, no, I don't like this overarching story. I don't like the Timeless Child, but you know that notwithstanding, you know there's always a chance you can pull that out. I just I I don't find. I don't find the splurge or the swarm or whatever his name is to be remotely interesting. Uh, I, oh, I love the you swarm. know the flux. The flux wipes planets into dust, but when they drop Vinder off at the end, it's just like they bombed the city. Um, it, 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 I don't know. Yeah, so that, that, that's the same with some of the places Bell goes. Well, I'm not quite clear whether yeah. that's because there are there are things that are in the path of the flux that get a kind of. You know, if you're if you're in the center of it, you're yeah, you're wiped out. And if you're on the periphery, it just I don't know. And, you know, for all and I know online, this is this is hugely polarized from what I've seen. It's like you either love it or you hate it. I I, Marmite. Yeah. uh, Not a term the Americans use, but yeah, I I did uh, wonder. (laughs) No, it's put it in my notes, but I thought, yeah, it's like, yeah, but it's very it's very uh, love it or love it or hate it and i don't know i i i'm i'm definitely on the loving it side this is this is my i mean each week i've felt it's got better and yet i'm also quite on board with the fact that it is distinctly different i mean i more than more than you i think i was convinced even last week that this is part of a an overall serial and yet the tone of each episode the kind of setting and format and style and everything is actually quite distinctive. Do you think that they tell this story entirely through just people yakking at each other because of COVID restrictions? Because it does seem to be mostly just about people talking. Well, I, I did. I did kind of. Yeah, I, I wondered whether the, the kind of use of different uh, the use of the same actors in different roles was driven by that. And, I, and while I was watching it, I thought. I thought, no, I must be wrong about that because you do when, you know, they flicker on and off, you get someone else stepping in. But actually, probably getting someone to step in for a few seconds shot is different from shooting a whole scene with them. And mm-hmm. so this may have been driven by the COVID restrictions. Um, but then, you know, often some of the best art is generated by the, the constraints within which the artist is operating. Yeah, pressure makes diamonds. That may have been a bit skewed corner, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. You know what I, I do? I, I will bring out. I'll note this one thing. Um, 
I find it very interesting. We know Yaz's history. We know enough about Yaz and the doctor. Well, theory about the doctor that when they go back into their timeline, it's, you know, vignettes of things that the story writer wants us to know. When we go into Dan's timeline, we really don't get anything about Dan's time. Nothing compared to what we get for Vinder, which might as well just be a linear story they're telling us. Right. Everyone else is bouncing around and just little little glimpse here, little glimpse there. But Fender, we are bouncing in and out, but we're doing this in this sequential narrative to tell us who Vinder is. And the question is, is that just lazy for for doing it differently for Vinder and Dan? Or are they intentionally trying to hide something about Dan? I so I I I don't have a definite answer about which way I'm going on that. I think there is something strange about the way that Dan has just become a companion sort of he's he, he's been taken on board by the doctor and he doesn't really you know for his part he doesn't really seem to question things that you mm-hmm. would expect him to be a lot more surprised by and I don't know whether that's his character it's you know it's like you know my mate had one like this when he sees the TARDIS or whether it's the result of him having been drafted into scripts that then have to be abandoned because of COVID and everything and so you get a kind of asymmetry here between the way because effectively Vinder and Dan have both been swept up in the ongoing story mm-hmm. and yet one of them is being treated as a companion and one is not and from a viewing point of view I'm almost thinking well I wish they didn't make that distinction so obvious I would like to there's no reason why I need to know which one of them is going to go on to travel with the doctor after this serial ends and I would quite like to have that made the subject of suspense yeah well i'll say this next week i think it looks very promising (laughs) next week's episode looked good so i mean from the trailer 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 so were the cybermen just in this story entirely so that they could be put in the trailer so that you'd you'd think next week's looks cool i think so i I mean i think nothing else looked very cool you know it's all just people floating and sitting talking I, I think I think there is a thing about I was surprised they didn't include the Daleks, but I think there is a thing about the returning monsters. And mm-hmm. as I said last week, for me, they are the least interesting aspects of this serial. But I wonder whether there is a kind of pressure from top BBC people that, you know, they they improve the marketing. So, well, it certainly felt like a marketing trailer last week. So maybe the Weeping Angels will only be in it five and a half seconds. Well, I don't, well, they're clearly more in, integral to the plot and the cliffhanger. And, the you know, this was a longer trailer, actually. They've been quite brief, the previous ones. So mm. I don't know what it signifies. But, uh, well, we shall see next time. So I guess we'll find out when next time in uh, part four of Flux, it is Village of the Angels. So, Eugene, thank you for joining me. Thank you. And I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. <laughs>